0: Hey, Risto here with George Mason University. Uh, I'm joined with Chad Killian. Uh, he's an assistant professor at George, uh, Georgia State University. Um, Chad has done a lot of work on and published articles about online physical education. So we were going back and forth on Twitter a little bit, and we both felt that this was a timely podcast to do, uh, considering that many schools worldwide are turning to uh, online physical education. So Chad, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to have a conversation. Yeah. So I guess we'll, we'll kind of do a different sort of podcast today. Um, Chad's written a couple articles that we'll reference through, but we're not going to do a specific article breakdown. Um, and just more or less, I mean, I, I look at you, Chad, as one of the experts in online physical education, and we'll talk about a review article that you did later on. Um, but let's just start off with this. Um, I feel like we're in, and we are in unprecedented times. Um, I'm assuming that the research you've done is not about online PE during a <laughs> pandemic. So can you kind of explain what uh, should online PE look like?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, and that's kind of a complex question, um, given all of, uh, what we're kind of faced with now, um, just kind of back up even before that. Um, I, the question is really should is online pe valuable to students um and and so that's the first question that needs to be answered um i have had conversations at conferences and, and and so forth where people sort of seem to think that i promote online physical education i just want to say that that's not the case it uh from a research standpoint i think it's important for us as a field to sort of identify what online PE should look like together. And the first part of that is deciding if it even has value in helping students uh, develop physical literacy and develop lifelong physical activity mm-hmm. habits. Yeah. Um, and so that's an open question because we don't know anything about it, really.
0: Yeah. And I, I will say that going out and saying that you're a supporter of online physical education in the research environment that we're in, that's... That's not a popular opinion. With that said, there's a lot of online physical education that happens, uh, and I think that you know it, it should be explored. I think your, your recent uh, review paper came out, I think 2019, so last year, in Kinesiology Review. I think one of the interesting pieces there was that you found 14 empirical studies on this topic, but very few were learning-related outcomes that were actually reported so you you talked about there's a lot of anecdotal evidence or talking about research studies in other fields uh and I think that that's interesting and I've I've gone to conferences and had this conversation with several different people and you know I I do see value in online Mm -hmm. physical education in certain ways and in certain situations but it's also scary to say that out loud you know Yeah,
1: uh, yeah, for sure. And I I think what helps, what helps me sort of want to research this is the issue of quality physical education, like as professionals, as as academics, as researchers, you know, we want to be able to articulate what quality physical education needs. And for me, I'm not willing to stop at the school doors. Mm -hmm. Like the kids are online right now taking quality, like they're taking physical education. We need to be able to to articulate a strong base of evidence to say what a quality experience in that environment looks like, because we already missed the boat in determining whether it should even be offered. We're past that ship. Now it becomes a question of what's going on, what are the outcomes, and what features of the system and the environment and the teaching and the student characteristics and the school context, all sorts of things, contribute to a quality experience that has positive outcomes. And so this is... if, if. to speak frankly, if we care about quality physical education, some of us at least have to care about quality online physical education.
0: Um, Absolutely, and I remember at, at Cal State Fullerton when I was looking at taking a couple classes onto a hybrid format, and you know we were running out of uh, classroom space, and people were asking to be taught, you know, teaching classes on Fridays and Saturday classes, once a week classes. Um, because there just wasn't enough space. I read a a Chronicle of Higher Education article that talked about you know the call for people being you know senior scholars whoever is a subject matter expert to be involved in online education because it's eventually going to go there and if you are really serious about you know online physical education or online education in general not you think that it doesn't have the rigor, then those are exactly the people that should be in charge of making those decisions. You need to be in, at the table when those decisions are made so you can enact that rigor and you can develop it. You know, turning your back to it and assuming that it's not there doesn't make that go away. And I would, I would, I would think that this time period right now is going to have a lot of for-profit companies a lot of organizations that are out there, and this is their big pitch. They have time yep. right now. They have the audience of every single PE teacher in the nation showing how they can do online PE. And I'm betting that not a lot of it is amazing, but it will sell a lot of, um, a lot of PE teachers.
1: Well, yeah, and that's kind of the issue. And it, it, it's one of many issues. Is this is a really complex... Um, complex issue. I mean, online PE has a lot of meaning. I mean, there's a lot of different formats. There's a lot of different ways you can embed it. So for example, is it a pure virtual school where kids never go to school? Is it an online course where the teacher is actually at the school that the students attend? Is it one online course where students are teaching or learning from a school? Is it supplemental content is it blended is it i mean there's all sorts of these technical formats and all the formats have their own intricacies and really deserve their own um research area mm-hmm. um and one of the issues too is the issue of external providers um because not a lot of them are um interested in really letting a lot of external uh, review go on they just sort of offer it and say it's good and that's kind of part of the reason why uh, I wanted to, and some of um, some of my colleagues from University of Illinois wanted to develop something during this time that teachers can use for free and have a little bit of a little bit of trust that it's coming from at least people who have thought about
0: this um, from that perspective. So And also um, kind of not having conflict of interest. You know, I, I think being a PE educator, you know, bringing it from the university where you're not necessarily developing something that you're trying to turn around and make into supplemental income, you know, and yeah. pushing this out as this is this is the gold standard or this is what we thought about online physical education instead of, you know, what's happening a lot of schools is outsourcing, whether it's after-school programming or even PE to for-profit companies. And I think that is a that's a dangerous road to go down.
1: Yeah. And and for a lot of reasons. And, and, um, and so that's kind of the nuance that is easily lost in this sort of rapid transition. It's just like, what, just to use an example, what we're putting out right now is just an accumulation of some research that I've done, but a lot of it's anecdotal. A lot of it's, um, sort of speculative. Um, and it's, really just being specifically designed for this moment in this time. Like the the content might be a little different in a traditional online course. The delivery might be a little bit different on an online course, but guess what? It's a learning experience for us. We're throwing out the best thing that we can at this time with what we know. And for me, it's it. this is part of my process. Like I view this in some ways, I'd be curious to know what you think is like, in some ways this is sort of what 21st century scholarship can look like or an aspect of it, like real time, sort of iterative processing, sort of re- like transparent out in the open. And I sort of thought about what the implications of that are. And it's like, I'm fine with criticism. We should be working together to make something, something that works. And and so just putting something out there right now, it needs to be understood that like, this is, speculative, this is unique to this context, and it's going to take a lot of years to get the evidence to really build something that we can say actually works.
0: Yeah, and I, and I would think based on your review paper, there isn't a lot of research on it, so whatever is going on in schools right now has not been rigorously tested. Whatever that online program is or whatever they're putting out hasn't doesn't have a lot of research behind it, so I guess... My question is, as much as you know where you are, what's happening in schools right now? And what does that mean in like the immediate like tomorrow in K-12 to PE and even in the PE profession?
1: Yeah, I mean, so a lot more is going on in schools than people, and I'm talking about faculty members, realize.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, online using online instruction i'll I'll say it that way because this could include sort of supplemental so like you you attend full face-to-face but you might put some health related fitness knowledge online for students to uh engage with this might involve offering an online course as part of your pe curriculum um and so forth so there's a lot more of that than than people realize and i think that's a product of of sort of a lot of us not really looking at it we wanted to ignore it we hope it goes away we we sort of are as scholars you're involved in our own thing and now like if this is a bad thing and we want to describe it as a volcano we're sitting on top of the volcano and and for me i perceive it as a potential there's a lot of potential here from a structural standpoint from a formatting standpoint from from a quality physical education standpoint, I think there's possibilities. I'm not invested in that though, so I'm willing to say, and I will say if I research it, this is the worst thing ever, if it's the worst thing ever, you know, to speak sort of in the extreme.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll say that, you know, putting putting content online and I have um, a, a former student of mine who teaches in Southern California and he's developed Some online classes at his school that he's at and I asked him like what are you covering what is the content that you're covering and he lists all of these health related fitness concepts all of this anatomy physiology science health like his PE course at the high school level is way more robust cognitively than Mm -hmm. many other programs and if you look at it you know if you look at PE like roll out the ball PE right terrible high school PE which happens everywhere right there are great programs there are terrible programs but if you switch out that terrible roll out the ball program to a quality cognitively focused health and PE program is that not better than the roll out the ball I mean we're taking a step forward yeah and that's kind of where I'm at right now. I mean, if you think
1: about what are some traditional barriers of quality physical education, you got large class sizes, Mm -hmm. you got limited time. And so those two just those two can be significantly addressed through the use of online learning. For example, why don't teachers? It's almost impossible to expect high school PE teachers in most high schools now to assess rigorously and regularly because of the class size burden. You know what I'm saying? Like, so like we can't, it's without the use of a computer, which helps you get efficient with, with which can have some automated features with which can facilitate uh, the provision of feedback that right there addresses a large class size burden. So we can, we can reasonably expect teachers to use technology and potentially online technology outside of school to assess students.
0: Yeah. And I and um, I will say that there there are definitely people who would uh who would disagree with that, but I think if you look at reality, you know, a student that we worked with in, in California, his high school classes were 74, 75, 73. Right. So if you have <laughs> you seventy have- students, how are you actually assessing them like legitimately? You know? Exactly. Whereas yeah, you same. could do a quiz through Blackboard or Moodle or Google and have Google or Blackboard or Moodle automatically grade those content quiz pieces, right? Yeah. And then you can actually do it.
1: Right. Exactly. It gets back to what you just said is, is no assessment better than online assessment? Yeah. That's the question we have to ask. And, And for me, it's like, yeah, because assessment matters, it's important to the learning process and it's on a computer. And we we can do it in a way that is actually constructive and enriching, and not just another task for students to do. Then it that's a net gain for the field.
0: Yeah, and I would also say that this is a time. So if if a K to twelve PE teacher is out there trying to figure out how do I get my kids physically active during this time, how do I increase MVPA? How do I you know how do I get them physically active? You know, there's also the point that you could do is pushing health education during this time health education is way easier i think to put online than physical education so if if like in virginia where at the elementary level the pe teacher is required to or is asked to introduce the health content in without actually being in a classroom setting so it's integrated into pe lessons that's a great Mm -hmm. time to focus on the health education piece as well and I think more and more states are going into health and PE licensure instead of just PE and then health in a in a separate one yeah
1: yeah and 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 we all need to keep in mind that there's it's a lot more difficult during a pandemic to have PE without a computer so like in some ways at least in this context this is all we have and so is not using online PE during this time better than trying to put something online and, and helping students manage and thrive during this time
0: mm-hmm. yeah so what are your expectations of for teachers to be able to do what do you think in reality that most k to 12 teachers are able to pull off
1: well it's hard to say because we don't know you know we don't know what the evidence is and so this is sort of just what and you're talking about online right now
0: yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. in in this current situation. So for instance, I have um, a colleague in Australia. She works in a low socioeconomic uh, school and, you know, she can't assume that all her students are just going to go in and get high speed Internet access and do all the assignments that she posts. So there are issues yeah, like yeah. that. So how do you how do you communicate this?
1: I would say that Limited internet access is not necessarily related to socioeconomic status, um, because some of the research where I did, I, I just think is an issue that a lot of people face, not just people in the mm-hmm. Um But so, uh, so what to do in that case? I think that's a challenge, and that's one that I don't know if I have an answer to right now. For at least for efficient means, mm-hmm. um, if if the only way that you could deliver physical education at a school for whatever reason was through online means and that's that was connected to a school then the easy thing is like the packet deal you know you get the yeah. same content I um, mean if that was actually the case I would open that option up to everyone I would provide it as a choice to say hey in the extreme case I don't even know if this, this even exists but if the extreme case that we have an online physical education Or packet-based, it should be open to everyone. The packet shouldn't just be restricted to um, the kids without internet, because some kids might want to learn through that instead.
0: And and that's been what I remember in elementary school when I was sick, right? You just got a packet from your teacher. They just photocopied the things that I needed to do, and, and you just kind of... Did it when you were sick or you were you were away or something like that. So I think I think those options are definitely on the on the books. There was a, um, a school district in San Diego um, that I looked on their website. This is like a few years ago, but they had a summer activity sheet. So they had all of these different things of different activities to learn, links to learn those activities things that they just didn't have the number of hours and to cover in content in class and to teach them how to be physically active without that structure. And it was just posted on, uh, online. And I thought that was, that was a great kind of that packet style, but not so much stress in, you know, assessment and, and right. following specific yeah. set standards, you know?
1: Yeah. And, and kind of, I think during this time, it's important to sort of distill sort of the human uh, experience and the, the anxiety and sort of the potential for large scale sickness from like the practical research sort of objective stance. So like the objective observation that I have is that this is a major disruption to a lot of things, including physical education and a lot of people were caught off guard. So I think through times like these, people it, it reminds people that there are creative that creative solutions need to be made and so for example i think that there's going to be a lot of people at work trying to accelerate the accessibility of online for example because now it's not just simply an issue and it's always been an issue of educational accessibility but but people can frame it however they want and a lot of people say well we don't need just provide internet access so people can use their phone but now it 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 becomes an issue of educational continuity. It becomes an issue of occupational continuity. And so I'm optimistic that a lot of creative solutions are going to come out of this in terms of accessibility. And I'm optimistic that a lot of creative solutions are going to come up and a lot of creative things um, are going to come out of this for the provision of online PE. Um, That's why we're trying to create something because it's, it's, part of the process its helping refine my thinking and our team's thinking. It's, it's getting something out there, letting it be fluid, letting us learn from the situation, helping people learn from it. And, and through that process, we can kind of come a little bit closer to maybe what is optimal.
0: Yeah. And I think one of the big things to remember here is what's realistic, right? So we're not, we're not just asking physical educators who are driving to campus to stay in their office, and run an online quality physical education program. We are assuming that these teachers are going home, let's say for instance, they have a family that now the kids cannot go to school, cannot go to daycare, they are at home. Now they become, you know, child care, like they have to take care of their kids in addition to trying to balance the education of the students without actually having that time off from work because they're taking care of and supervising young children that normally would be at school. So I think that exactly. there's, a, there's a reality check here as well. And you know, if we look at higher education, it's, it's very similar. You know, we're assuming that people are gonna be able to teach their classes just like normal, just take it online. But a lot of my colleagues are going home and their kids now are no longer allowed to go to school. So they're at home and they're trying to figure out how to get to web meetings and trying to figure out childcare. So I think that there's a, a big reality check here as well.
1: Yeah, and I think what it's going to do, I mean, some a reasonable outcome of this is probably going to be at least at the college level that every course has a, a, a mandatory online backup for the entire semester. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, similarly, uh, I can imagine that, that there's going to be contingency plans for this in the future um, at the K-12 level as well. And so I think policy end of this disruption related to university and, and uh, K-12 oh. is like we need we got caught off guard we need to have a plan in place so that it's not quite as a chaotic experience. And so like it's going to be a little dicey probably this round for a lot of people because of what you just said. But hopefully there can be enough support um, to plan ahead in the event that this happens again.
0: Yeah. And I'm I'm very lucky that, you know, I I was able to take a course at George Mason for faculty members that it's a six week online course on how to learn how to teach online more effectively. So for mm-hmm. me, I'm already using some parts of flipped learning. I've taught some online courses. So for me, transferring my classes to an online format is not that huge of a, of a burden. But I do remember the first time I transferred my in-person class into a hybrid format, I was doing it all wrong. And, you know, there are a lot of mistakes that I did. I went to teaching conferences at Mason that you know, worked on online education and the things that I was doing in the other classes, I realized could have been done way better, you know? And so I think this is going to be a learning curve for a lot of people. I think, you know, universities that are not, um, you know, universities that are not stopping student opinion questionnaires to go on faculty uh, tenure files. I think that's a mistake. You know, like if you, if you go in and you don't know how to teach online and the students crush you on student opinion questionnaires, that goes on your tenure file. So then when you go up for tenure, where does that, where does that stay? How do you write out of that?
1: Yeah. And to your point, sort of um, people that never thought they would be teaching online are doing it now. And so that is sort of forced to. To break the ice and I think that that hopefully it it doesn't cause people to sort of retract even more tightly to sort of what's familiar but but to say hey I did this I can do it and if it makes sense in my class to apply some of the strategies that I, I learned through the fire so to speak then then I should do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, 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 my desire is that people take a reflective approach to this. You're doing it out there. You're doing it if you're listening and you're learning about online and you never thought you would, well, you're doing it. Yeah. And so that's the first step. And mm-hmm. it might not make sense in your school context and or for your school population. In that case, I would suggest not doing it. But if people do see the value of it, if they do sort of gain confidence to be able to implement that, and if there is a student body that, part of the student body that could benefit from a more autonomous, um, physical
0: education experience, then I think it's reasonable for people to sort of take steps in that direction. You know, I'm, I'm thinking here, I wish you would have done a study that asked about, you know, attitudes of teachers towards online physical education, which I'm thinking that somebody has done and then post COVID-19 and just do the same questionnaire to the same people and see if this this pandemic actually changed um you know this is a this is a good research study in that place i i feel like it will change the attitudes of people going going online it absolutely has to and if it doesn't there's absolutely no hope for anything you know our field like i mean that that's just where we're at right now Um, so just so based on your research what does quality online physical education look like when there's not a pandemic going on? Yeah.
1: We're at the bottom end of it right now. So I was fortunate enough to um, go to the university of Illinois and my advisor, Dr. Amy Woods. And um, she was uh, in the position where she was, she let me study whatever I wanted, um, which she also did as sounded like David Donks. He started, he started some of this research, um, but there are many of us out there. Tyler Goode, Craig Bushner, Brian Moser, a couple other, um, Margaret Harris recently, um, over does a little flip stuff, but from we're trying to start at the bottom, that was a decision that we made. And so um, most of it is qualitative. At this point, we're kind of scaling some of that stuff, um, and trying to design something based on the evidence that we have um, from pilot data and, and other stuff. Um, but Right now, it's a lot of my opinion and a little bit of research. But so from what what we did from asking teachers in my dissertation and students in my dissertation, um, we did ask the teachers what they thought of technology. And most of the teachers in my study, uh, I think the average experience was 23 years. And most of the teaching, teaching experience, 23 years teaching experience, most of them had supplemental duties, either administrative or coaching.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so it's sort of like a textbook uh, sample of what you would expect not to be. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like it would be all the teachers that you would expect to resist it. But yeah. we use the unified theory of acceptance use of technology, which sort of gets at a bunch of different factors. But the, the main thing is, is, if the system is easy, the teachers will use it.
0: Yeah.
1: So, so the system needs to be easy. And it needs to provide value in their minds. So the teachers that we interviewed found a lot of value in the, the, the content. It was content that they felt they wanted to present, but were conflicted because they also wanted to have a high movement time in their class. Right. And so most of them were talking about that friction. And that's that's an observational friction that we can all talk about. There's not, never enough time to teach what i want there's never enough time to get the kids active like we all, there's always conflicts mm-hmm. and so having this supplemental curriculum gave them space to breathe knowing that the students were getting quality online cognitive learning and effective learning consistent automated assessments and then the teachers really focused on um focus on the movement experience mm-hmm. The breakdown happened with one group of students. Um, We interviewed 37 students and it was one teacher. And there was this major disconnect from what the teacher was uh, sort of introduced and what the students perceived. Um, And so implementation has a lot to do with the success of programs, the socialization process. Basically, what happened was the teacher introduced it, gave the kids their code and never talked about it again for the rest of the year. And so we've got some insane quotes. This kids are like, What am I doing on this computer in this movement oriented course? I thought this was PE. Yeah. Like stuff to that effect. And so the, the funny thing about a lot of criticisms of online PE is people think it's going to take away jobs. And I actually think that it enhances the role of the teacher and makes it even more important.
0: Yeah. And I, I would agree with that, is again, going back to, if this is going to happen, PE teachers need to be at the table and not for-profit companies that are coming in trying to give a packaged, pre-packaged curriculum that somebody can just press play on and one teacher is just organizing six classes. Well, know? that's
1: rolled the ball out online PE, so, so exactly. that's the other thing, too, is like, people criticize online PE as if face-to-face physical education is like perfect. And Mm -hmm. it's like, well, that's not a reasonable thing to say. There's great programs out there. There's great teachers out there, but on the whole, we could improve the quality as a field.
0: Yeah.
1: And so, so we're at the very early stages of this PE teachers absolutely have to be involved. Researchers other than me have to be involved and to take it one step further i'm not willing at this point to really say what a teacher's role looks like or what the role of the computer or the you know the surveillance and assessment is until we try different ways yeah. because there's a lot of different ways it can go everything about that is important but what it means to me is hard to articulate without getting some evidence
0: yeah and and i've been interested in this topic i haven't jumped in on um, on doing research in it because I feel like it's going to take me away from the projects that I have currently. That said, I I do have this kind of thought and I like your kind of comments on this, you know, my, and I've, and I presented this in our master's programs to our master's students and had conversations, um, a fully online program, so it was interesting that, uh, to do it that way. So I, I posted so, this, meta. Yeah, so I posted this video where I explained this and it was my option to refocus secondary schools and a lot of it came from, you know, students getting to a certain age, you know, I've, I've done research on student attitudes, you know, a lot of that research shows that, you know, at the end of middle school, attitude drops, physical activity drops. You know, girls in physical education contexts are, you know, not given the same opportunities. They don't want to maybe be physically active They're during school time, during third period, and then going to fourth period. You know, a lot of what PE is, uh, isn't like you wouldn't go to the gym and not shower and then walk straight into a faculty meeting or to teach a class super sweaty. It's not socially acceptable, right? But then in high school where we may have 14, 15, 16 year old students going through, we ask them to do that. So then we look at them as defiant because they refuse to be physically active and sweat because they want to be sweaty during second period because, you know, they're getting out of school at 3 p.m. So my three options which would be all happening at the same time so students would have choice to enroll in one of these three options number one PE class as it has been and always was right so nothing changes PE teacher teaches just like what secondary schools PEU does number two is a hybrid model Mm -hmm. so students could choose uh, the content online which is kind of what you were talking about in your research study it's more mm-hmm. health focused, cognitive, affective. And then those school. Uh, the, that school has open gym options. So that includes access to the weight room, to the gym, to the fields, uh, mm-hmm. after school yoga classes. So I'm learning content online, but I can then go in and actually put it in action in the weight room from three to four, just like yeah. I would do after work as a 18 to 90 year old. Who finishes work and then goes to workout, or alternatively, they could do it in the mornings in a morning workout class, shower, change, get ready for physical activity or for the school. So just that's, to interrupt real yeah. quick,
1: I want to hear about your third one. But like, what did you just describe? This is this is how. I'm not not criticizing you, but from the field, what did you just describe? I I'll I, answer that for you because. <laughs> Go ahead.
0: No, I I feel like I described how adults are physically active.
1: Yes. A hundred percent. And you also describe what a CSPAP is in some ways.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so
1: like, we're all concerned about, I mean, the CSPAP is a great model and it, and it, it spans, you know, before and after school, during school, physical education out in the community. What's the thing that could tie all that together? A digital component
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so I think it gives us space to be creative if we're willing to to use digital means and online means as an option if we write that off we're restricted to face-to-face and that's it yeah what you described is yes kids should be able to be in the team sports or the the high performance class or the dance class uh, conducted by the teacher in high school and middle school yeah but they should also be able to have an autonomous experience for them
0: yeah um,
1: if that's what they prefer um, so what's your third option
0: so the third the third piece of the puzzle is fully online physical education right? right and I think this is the most controversial part is to opt let anybody in secondary schools opt in for fully online PE I think I don't know how this would work but it should work in some way that the content is evidence-based and there is a physical activity component to it. The way I would think about it is those students then, or that school would partner with the YMCA or some local sports club or something to get access. So they could go at night to go into a YMCA yoga, Pilates class, swim, something like that. And they're also getting that content. So, The whole idea is that students get to choose which option. PE class doesn't spin, number one. Number two is the hybrid model where they have open gym hours. And number three is full online PE. It does not pull out the PE teacher. The PE teacher is more important, right? They might do more work sitting down in front of their computer grading papers and modifying these activities. But the classes are still normal size. So it's not, now that we're on online PE, you're going to take a hundred students per this one class. No. Well, that's what happens. Yeah. You, you stick it to that number, just like online. If I'm teaching online at the university, I don't all of a sudden take a hundred students in my online class still capped at the same exact number that it should have been. Right. And this also preserves the PE teacher as as a health and PE teacher as a profession
1: yeah and that I mean that gets to the policy end of it like there is so much to explore and understand Um, just it's many different careers worth of research because it is a complex issue it is dealing with sort of the core of our subject and what it might mean for the future Um, but the policy side is, is hugely important. And one of the schools we're doing research in, they give a the face-to-face teachers also teach their online course, which I think is good because then the, the, the students know the teacher, like the teacher's in the building. It's not some remote person they never see. Um, but the teacher um, teaches sections of online physical education, and then they get uh, a, a, it's not a planned period but it's a period where they can sit at their desk and provide feedback Mm -hmm. conduct assessments and interact with students so like it's not a planned period because they still have their planned period it's an actual like so eighth period is your virtual interaction or if you teach three classes it's second period is you know section a fourth period is section b and eighth period is section c yeah so that's a creative way I think schools should address this issue is exchange. Every section of online that that a, a real-time teacher teaches should be exchanged for a, a class period.
0: Yeah, and and in order to do that, they have to have the PE teachers as advocates at the table. Otherwise, it's going to be outsourced to somebody else or provided in some other way. So I think the advocacy piece is uh, big here. So
1: Yeah, and, and it, it gets to the teacher, educate, uh, the teacher education piece is, you know, are, are teachers equipped, are our faculty equipped to be able to advocate and be able to advocate for the right things? Yeah. Like, I, I'm not convinced that many people know what to advocate for.
0: Yeah. And not, I think that just, that's something that, you know has been kind of exposed i i think this has exposed a lot of different things but in PEAT education are we have we been doing a great job getting teachers prepared for online do we have a technology class like at mason we have a technology in not education in physical education that they're learning about google classroom and you know online assessments and all that stuff um you know i think that other programs may not have had that education component to it Um, but i think that this also there's a lot for us to think about in peat education so yeah i mean yeah it's just our teachers are
1: completely unprepared for this um just to speak frankly and
0: it's our fault Um, and you and you can see that on twitter you can see that on facebook there's a lot of teachers that are going hey is your are your classes going online? Do you have any resources? And there okay. are a lot of people putting up resources. And again, like you've shown with your research, there's not a lot of evidence base behind that stuff. It's, it's good. It's a aid. It's, it's a very trying time. But also I think that there are a lot of, a lot of things that we should be, um, you know, researching to figure out what actually works. And, and I don't yeah. think that this is the correct time to do that research study. Because this is not how it should be done, you know. Where we're, no, we're no kind way. of reacting, you know.
1: And and to be honest, like the response that we're seeing is really just um, uh, an indication of a larger, broader issue of physical education. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically the multi-activity program in online, you know, in yeah, an online right. sense. And like that's why I've been like, I don't know how to make it more obvious that i want to help i've been a little bit critical but from a good place like we can't just resource like collect resources throw them against a learning management system and hope that it works it should still you know it should still be valuable it should still provide you know quality content we need to be really serious about whether or not we're going to hold students accountable i would say no at this point yeah. you know we just want to get out there we want to help them get off their butts get off the netflix we want to help them make good decisions and that's kind of why we decided you know managing and thriving through this extended school closure is what we're trying to do with this curriculum that we're building yeah. it's it's what is physical activity why is being sedentary um even why is being Aware of your sedentary behavior, even more important now.
0: Yeah.
1: Why is? What is the value of being physically active to my psychology, my psychological wellness? Like, especially when things start getting lonely, things start going a little bit. You know, if anxiety increases, it's like we should be telling them the outcomes that they can experience immediately from a acute bout of physical activity, in relation Mm -hmm. to their stress, in relation to symptoms of depression, symptoms of anxiety. Um, and I just don't think that that is a that's not within a lot of the instruction that we do. Yeah. And so, trying to just pivot, get a plan, because we're we're showing the world our thought process. Whatever you put up online is is a an explicit demonstration of your planning process. And for me, I want PE teachers to show that there's been thoughtful, purposeful, intentional design behind what
0: they're requiring students to do. And I think that there's a lot of research out there that shows that people go on Twitter and they just, they are taking activities and whatever goes viral that week, that activity is taught the next day or the next week in that class in whatever state that you're in. And I think that that's the, there are good things about Twitter and Facebook and Instagram to get lesson ideas, but there's also, you know, that's not the way to plan, and that's not the way to do it, but I do think that, you know, you bring up good points of what the, the survival mechanism here, like let's survive this, let's also remember that every other teacher is in this situation, so if you have a science teacher, a math teacher, history teacher, English teacher... They are all bombarding students mm-hmm. with, physic- you know, with tasks online. I mean, what's a, what's a student's life right now with right. You know having 9 hours of content, 10 hours of content? How much time are they actually taking to do this stuff? So are we accidentally giving students 12 hours of teaching content every single day?
1: Yeah, and, and the irony for us as PE teachers is, I sort of mentioned this idea of like the snow day effect. Like, I think we need to take approach to this and let students have some fun. Like, they're seeing this because of the, the it's exciting for them to be all school right now, for a lot of us. Yeah. Um, if, if there's a lot. I'm sure there's a lot of anxiety because it's unexpected, and there's a lot of, of, of news going around. But at the end of the day, kids are not in school, and that's exciting to a lot of kids. Yeah. And and if we think about it, and we think back to when you were growing up, when we were growing up. Like, the most fun I've had was when I was the most bored. You know, because that's when you get creative. That's when you can actually be a kid. And. By bombarding them with a lot of work and a lot of strict accountability, especially as PE teachers, that's that's a bitter irony right there. Because in some ways, you're taking them away from boredom. You're taking them away from opportunities to be creative and be active yeah. in some ways.
0: So, and and I would think that what you said by using the F word, fun, I feel like you know people are going to disagree with you for sure. And I think you know, one of my, one of my colleagues, Tony de Gregorio would say, fun is the vehicle of learning. You know, if you are able to instill that fun to learn, I think that's something important to remember. So let's, let's, um, I'll finish off with one question to you, and then we'll kind of wrap up because we've had, i I've at least had a great time talking and I know that we could probably make an hour and a half podcast out of this, but um, <laughs> so what's the big takeaway that you want teachers, primary, secondary, higher ed to get out of this right now?
1: I want them to, to open their mind to the possibility that quality online physical education can exist in part through the, the medium of the internet. And there's a lot of layers to it, and there's a lot of, of things that we need to figure out. Um, but at the end of the day, if we care about quality physical education, we cannot limit it, especially as society continues to accelerate with the use of technology, especially since um, uh, we, we have these opportunities, we have these tools, we should leverage them for our benefit and ultimately for the benefit of our students. Yeah. And, and the last point is, is it's not slowing down. And so we can we can have fun and imagine where every uh, online physical education program is uh, run through artificial intelligence and every kid gets a, a tailored, uh, a tailored experience. Every kid who enrolls in online PE could get a tailored experience based on their Uh, skill level based on their knowledge based on their goals, you know, I'm just imagining Possibilities and and we can't limit Possibility to what's in front of us right now.
0: Yeah, so Hey, I mean, thank you so much for joining on such short notice um, Pulling this together Uh, for those of you um, That are on Twitter. You can follow dr. Killian at chad killian k-i-l-l-i-a-n one the number one chad killian one um, there are a couple videos that you've put up on uh, youtube that you can link to um, on there that talk about online physical education um, you can follow the podcast at the hpe podcast and online at um, the thehpewebsite.com um, i'm at risto martin and, and again um thank you so much chad um, appreciate your time um, a lot, so. Yeah, it's,
1: it's been a real pleasure. I, I would just encourage anybody who's curious to reach out. I mean, uh, I am still learning from this as well. It's, it's a fun process and, and we can kind of learn together. So um, please feel free at any time to reach out. I'm happy to engage in conversation.
0: Awesome. So we'll keep pushing out podcasts each week on Tuesday mornings. Uh, there's a lot of content out there already. We're nearing 100 episodes. Uh, They're broken down by topic on a Google Doc, so if you're a college professor, want to use them for your class, you can find them there and figure out what topic that you're going to cover. There's a lot on TPSR, tactical games approach, social justice issues, um, policy stuff. Um, We have the article clubs coming out uh, at the last Tuesday of each month, Um, and that's really why we created this podcast to begin with, so... Um, thanks for the support. We are nearing uh, 40,000 downloads, which is uh, which is pretty cool for us. Uh, and hope you all stay uh, healthy and safe. So thanks, Chad. Appreciate it.